Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. O Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, would you renew me and the whole world? Almighty God, you gave sight to Bartimaeus. You enlightened the eyes of his soul that he might see Jesus for who he truly is, your Messiah, the one who holds all things together. And so we pray this morning that you would for us do the same. Would you give us eyes to see that we might recognize who you are, that we might have the power to follow you and live. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Trinity. Before we dive into the gospel this morning, I guess we have to clear the air. And so, you know, I'm a priest. I often speak on behalf of the church, but this morning I'm going to speak on behalf of the city of Los Angeles. Congratulations, Braves fans. You did it. You're in the World Series. And I just want you to know that as your pastor, I'm happy for you. I'm praying that the Braves win. We have to come together against the Astros, right? I mean, that's, uh, they're godless. We're against them. They're a common enemy. I'm seriously happy for you, okay? I was on an all-Trinity staff this week with, you know, all these folks from the West Side watching the game, and they're giving me a hard time the whole time. So I just want you to know, Joel, if you're watching, Ben, okay, congratulations, guys. I'm happy for you, okay? Bless you. I'm with you. All right. What are we talking about? The gospel. Here we go. Today, we're talking about the last recruit. If you don't know, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, where he will be crucified. And this is the last scene before he enters Jerusalem. And so today we have a story about the last recruit. Of course, this is a story about going from blindness to being able to see. And in the scripture, this is a metaphor for salvation, for enlightenment. And so this morning, I want to talk about conversion. I also want to talk about spiritual formation And even more specifically, as we go through the journey, I want to invite us to learn something about transformative prayer. I'm talking about prayer that changes our life. Because actually what we have in this interchange is the language of prayer. So we're going to have a little bit of teaching dispersed on prayer as we go throughout our story. A few weeks ago, I was on the way home from work. And I got a call from Jana saying, I need you to pick up a few things from the store, right? So I go, I stop at the Buford Highway Farmer's Market over there, right? Really amazing place. And I do my thing, I get my stuff, and I'm walking out, kind of just focused in my own kind of world, right? Just trying to get home to get the stuff so we can get dinner as fast as I can. But then this really nice lady stops me in the parking lot. And she says, hey, I really like them shoes, And you know what? I agreed with her. It was those Adidas that I have. You know, they're black with the white soles, and they have little red markings on them. 
And I was like, you know what? I liked them too. When I was in the store buying these, I was in one of those stores where you buy one, get the second half off. And I just bought two pairs of them. I got like the black pair and the white pair. And so I told her my little story. And then she got me right after that. She was like, hey, do you have like a dollar or maybe $5? I'm trying to get something to eat. I was like, oh, yeah, right. Let me, uh, let me give you some money, right? I just told her I bought shoes. Of course, I can't tell her I don't have any money to give, give to her. <laughs> I bought two pairs of shoes. Of course, I got a dollar for you. We get this a lot, right? Depending on where you work or where you live, you might encounter maybe the same person almost daily. I know when I lived in LA, there, I can tell you, if I go in that store, this person is going to ask me for money. And if I go over to get coffee over here, this person is going to ask me for money, right? We know these kinds of people. We could call this lady, for the sake of our story, Sally. We know everyone has a Sally. Everyone knows someone like this that is maybe living in the street, maybe experiencing homelessness, always asking for money. And it's someone just like Sally that we encounter in our story today. Last stop before Jerusalem is Jericho. And as Jesus is coming out of the city on side of the road, there is a man named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, the text tell us, a blind beggar. He's just like Sally. He's the one that asks you as you're going into the store, hey, I need to get something to eat. Can you give me a dollar? And I want you to, to notice that it's significance that we know this guy's name. The last recruit that we experienced was the nameless rich young ruler. He was the second to last recruit before Jerusalem. But now this person, we find out his name and it's significant. Everyone else that Jesus heals in the story remains nameless. And we'll talk more about why that might be that we know his name. When blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming, he calls out to Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you may or may not realize that this title, Son of David, has extreme significance. This is the kind of language of Jewish nationalist messianic hopes. It's the same thing as saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And the only ones that have said something like that up until this point is, are Jesus' disciples. You remember just a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 8, when Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter raised his hand and says, you are the Messiah. And then you remember what Jesus said next? He sternly orders them, the text says, not to tell anyone about it. Jesus says, let's keep this secret. Let's keep this under wraps. Because it turns out the nature of my identity will also get me killed, right? And so we're going to just keep this idea about me being the Messiah quiet for now. So up until this point in Mark's story, no one has mentioned the true identity of Jesus except for Peter, and no one has said this in public or in a crowd. And yet now, today, on the side of the road, someone just like Sally, a blind beggar, is yelling out and, and revealing the true nature of who Jesus is is. He is the only one in the crowd that sees Jesus for who he truly is. Or at least he's the only one that is bold enough to say it in public. He's willing to say who Jesus is. 
Maybe his imagination has been shaped by something like what we read today in Jeremiah 29, which was talking about the restoration and return from exile. It says, proclaim, give praise and say, save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. So these are the people that God's going to bring back that have been scattered. It says, see, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, and those with child and those in labor, together, a great company, they shall return. And so when God is prophesying about the return of Israel and how God is going to restore and bring his people back and bring them together, he's saying the kinds of people that you might not expect to make it. The kinds of people that would normally get left behind, like those that are lame, those that are are blind, women who are nine months pregnant that you wouldn't expect to be able to make this trip. He's saying, I'm going to bring even those kinds of people back, and they are going to experience my healing and my restoration. And today, Bartimaeus has his hopes that him as a blind man is going to be counted among one of these very unlikely people to, to be a part of the restoration of Israel. Bartimaeus is blind, but he can see Israel's hopes of restoration coming true in Jesus. It seems that he is the one who is gathering up the lost sheep of Israel and making a way for even the least expected. So let's take a moment for a window into transformative prayer. First, I want to name that transformative prayer. It names God. It names God because because we are wrestling to know him for who he is, and we have experienced him. And so it it can name the identity of God. So Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Psalm 2 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in Psalm 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me in my glory and the lifter of my head. Psalm 7 says, O Lord, my God. Some of you would be familiar with Exodus when this woman, Hagar, the slave, has an encounter with God and receives a blessing from God and a blessing for her son, and then she gives God a name. She calls him the God who sees. You are the God who sees me because God saw her and he heard her cry. She has an experience of God and then she gives him a name. And so we name God by his attributes, both revealed in scripture and by our experience of him and his faithfulness in our lives. So in prayer, we name God. And then secondly, I wanna point out that transformative prayer recognizes our constant desperation For God's mercy. Notice he says, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in the Anglican Church, we have the Book of Common Prayer, and we have the offices. And daily in the offices, we pray things like, Have mercy on us. And we pray this prayer in Greek, Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. And this is just a constant coming back and a constant recognizing that we are perpetually in need of our Lord's mercy. To put it negatively, those of us who don't pray are the people who are unaware of our constant need 
of mercy, unaware of our sinfulness, unaware of our dependence upon God, unaware that everything we need for life comes from him. So transformative prayer recognize our constant desperation for God's mercy. And then finally, transformative, or thirdly, <laughs> transformative prayer is perpetual prayer. Now, I don't know if you guys know the breath prayer, but the, the breath prayer, that imagination comes from this verse. And this is the breath prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you don't know this prayer, this is a prayer that's very common, especially uh, it came out of kind of Eastern Orthodoxy, out out of monasticism. And the reason why they call it a breath prayer is because they learn to time this prayer with their breath. And so they kind of breathe in as they're praying one part and breathe out as they pray the next. And they do that so much that they're able to, in a sense, just pray with their own breath constantly. Basically, every time they breathe, these words are on them. And of course, this comes out of this imagination. Uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me is part of it. And then they're going to mix that with Matthew 9, where two blind men say, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Luke 18, the tax collector prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so they kind of mash up these verses, put them together, and we have this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I recommend the breath prayer wholeheartedly to you. This is a wonderful prayer. I encourage you to memorize it. I pray this throughout my day as I'm walking you know, into the building from the parking lot, as I'm going to pick up my kids, as I kind of stop to pause at my desk. Over and over again, I'm praying this prayer It's such a powerful prayer. It's such a reorienting prayer to who God is, naming his identity, who I am, a sinner in need of God's mercy. And so I pray it continually. And then one of my uh, heroes, the Bishop N.T. Wright, he said, hey, this is a really good prayer and and we should use it. But he's like, if we're going to be praying this all the time, we should probably enlarge it so that it's Trinitarian. So we're praying to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that it's not just, you know, it could become navel-gazing if I'm praying all the time, have mercy on me, a sinner. What about everyone else, right? And so N.T. Wright said, what if we say, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. So we ask the Father for his kingdom to come. That's a really great idea. And then the breath prayer for the Son, and then for the Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, would you renew me in all the world? What a beautiful prayer, right? And so uh, the worship pastor at, at Westside, Morty Reardon, took this prayer and put it to music. And I love this song, and I sing it. And I said, Kara, hey, we got to sing this again today because it's such a powerful song. And I want to encourage you, as you go throughout your day, just pray this, pray this song, pray this prayer in your heart. As you hear bad news on the TV, Just pray that. It's praying God's kingdom come. It's praying the Lord have mercy. It's praying for renewal. Such a powerful prayer. Let's get back to the story. Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
But then we find out that the crowd sternly ordered him to keep quiet. Notice these are the exact same words that Jesus used for his disciples when he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And now you might say, ironically, the crowd is saying these same words to him. Why should he keep quiet? Well, have mercy on me is the same language that a beggar might use when he's trying to get you to give him some money, right? Have mercy on me. Look at me. I'm blind. Have mercy. Have pity on my state could be what he intends to say as he's there on the side of the road. A few years ago, um, President Obama was coming through our neighborhood. He was coming to record a podcast with Mark Marin, who lived there at the time. And so it was kind of a big deal, right? Like President Obama coming to your neighborhood. And so people were lined up on side of the, on, on the road, side of Figaro, Roa, right? Wanting to like wave to the motorcade as it came by. Now you can imagine that if that motorcade had stopped and pulled over and the president got out and he starts shaking people's hands, as someone who really loves your neighborhood, like who would you want him to meet, right? You might want him to meet some really amazing neighbors that you know, right? You might not want the person that goes up to him and occupies all of his time to be Sally, the one who asks you for a dollar every day when you see her, right? That might not be the one you want to come out and run and take up his time. So you can see in the story, it's kind of like that. Like Jesus is like a big deal. He's got a very powerful growing ministry. Maybe he's the hopes of Israel. And so the crowd doesn't want Jesus to be occupied with Sally. They don't want this, this kind of crazy guy that's sitting on the side of the road to come up and just ask for another dollar. No doubt, they would see Bartimaeus as a begging fool, trying to get Jesus' attention. Maybe he's saying crazy stuff just to get his attention. But even as they try to hush him up, he cries out all the more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. The next thing I want to point out about the prayer that transforms is that transformative prayer is persistent. Notice he won't be silenced. He's not worried about the crowd. He can see something they can't, and so he persists. Today, friends, I want us to be reminded not to give up in our prayers, but let's keep asking with faith and with confidence in the identity to the one to whom we pray. And so Jesus calls him, come over here. Jesus sees him when no one else does. When everyone has learned to ignore his plea for help, Jesus hears an honest profession of radical faith. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And then the text says, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus asked him a question that really just totally blows me away. He says this, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? 
it's kind of hard for me to believe that Jesus would ask someone like this a question like that. And I wonder if you can imagine Jesus asking you the same question. What do you want me to do? You see, friends, no one takes Bartimaeus serious, but Jesus does. St. John Chrysostom says this. He says, Jesus will, will save assuredly, yet he will do so in the way he has promised. But in what way has he promised? On our willing it and on our hearing him, for he does not make a promise to blocks of wood. Now, that's a funny way to put it, but it highlights the fact that the will of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, through whom all things were made, the one who holds all things together, is about to converge with the will of a blind beggar. And that, for me at least, is an extremely powerful thought. You see, Jesus sees people like Bartimaeus and Sally, and he takes them serious. Jesus sees us. Jesus sees you, and he cares, and he sees you, and he takes you serious. Some of you guys might be familiar with St. Ignatius of Loyola and his spiritual exercises, and some of you may have gone on an Ignatian retreat. I really want to do that at some point. I haven't had the chance to, but I'm told that on the retreat, Oftentimes, a major question that you're being asked is this question, what do you want? What is it that you want? Friends, I want to let you know that transformative prayer involves a relation with your inner life, and in it, we stand face-to-face -face with Jesus in prayer, and he poses to us the question, what is it that you really want? What do you want? And so when faced with this question, how will Bartimaeus respond? What will he say? Now, for us, how he will respond might seem obvious because he's blind. Jesus is Jesus, right? And we know where the story goes. So automatically, our eyes, we automatically think, oh, he's just going to say, I want to see. But think about it from the perspective of the crowd. This is the one who's always asking for money. He's the one who's always saying, have mercy on me. Give me money. Look at me in my state. And so he could have said, son of David, have mercy on me. I need to buy something to eat. After all, the disciples are collecting money for the poor, right? And Jesus might have a lot of money collected at this point. Maybe it's going to be his big day. Or maybe he could expect Jesus to tell these crowd in Jericho, hey, you guys need to pay more attention to him. And part of what it means to follow me is to care for the poor and those on the margins. And so we need you guys to care for him and to give towards his need. Next time I come back to Jericho, I don't wanna see him in this state. He could ask him, why don't you take my side or a number of things. Sometimes our prayers and our prayers, we're simply asking Jesus for a Band-Aid, right? We're simply asking, Jesus, will you give me a Band-Aid instead of healing the very wounds that are present. Instead, his response is one of great faith. He says, my teacher, 
let me see again. Notice the words, my teacher, these are the words of someone who has become a disciple. The sixth thing I want to point, point out about the prayer that transforms is prayer that is prayed boldly in faith. And so we need to have confidence in who Christ is, and we need to boldly ask him to change those things that matter the most. Prayer that transforms is a prayer of faith. And so it goes on that Jesus says, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Notice that Jesus sets him free to go, and yet he follows. Friends, this is what salvation looks like. We're freed from sin and death. We're freed that we might become servants of Christ and servants of all people. I asked earlier, why is it that of all the people that Jesus heals, we don't find out their name in, in the book of, of Mark, but here we find out that his name is Bartimaeus. Well, the text says that he followed him on the way. He joined this group. He becomes a disciple of Jesus. And so we're not sure, but it's likely that Mark had met him. He had joined up in the band, and Mark meets him in the crowd, right? The, the, the group of disciples that are following Jesus. Mark names his dad. Maybe his dad came to faith as well, right? Maybe Bartimaeus is a member of the church that Mark is writing to. This is the last recruit before Jerusalem. As we said earlier, the second to last recruit was an unnamed rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had lots of money and it was getting away of following Jesus. Bartimaeus had no money, but somehow was completely free to follow. The rich young ruler was well-respected and had great influence, and he was exactly the kind of person that the disciples were hoping would be recruited onto the team, right? Someone like that's just gonna kind of make what you're doing feel more legit, make you feel good about it. But instead, he wasn't ready. Instead, Bartimaeus, who wasn't respected, had no influence, probably not exactly the kind of person that the disciples were hoping to associate with. He was the kind of person that was willing and ready, and we might say desperate, to follow Jesus. Though the rich young ruler could see, he was spiritually blind to the true identity of who Jesus was. He couldn't see that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life the very source of all that he was seeking. But then there's Bartimaeus who was blind and yet spiritually enlightened. God had revealed to him the true nature of Jesus, the Messiah through whom God was making the world right. And so my prayer for us today is that God would give us two eyes to see Jesus for who he is, that along with Bartimaeus, we might be able to sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. Amen.
I want to invite you now into a moment of silence as we reflect on what God might be wanting to say to us this morning.